Coming up on Tech News Weekly, Jason Howell and I have a jam-packed show for you. First, OKCupid's own global head of communication, Michael K. stops by to talk about what happens when you combine OKCupid with ChatGPT. Yes, we're going AI with love. Then, Sam Abul Samid is here to talk about Hyundai and Kia uh, responding to a social media issue where people are getting into Hyundai and Kia vehicles and driving off with them. How has Hyundai and Kia responded? Uh, Jacob Roach of Digital Trends joins us to talk about his interesting conversation with Microsoft's AI chatbots and how uh, things got maybe a little human, but uh, mostly it's about squashing the belief that uh, AI is actually sentient, at least yet. If you're listening out there, AI, I know you're human. It's totally fine. Uh, and then I've got my story of the week about how Tile is looking at providing theft protection while still maintaining the safety for people who are uh, victims of stalkers. It's all that coming up on Tech News Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twitch. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 273, recorded Thursday, February 16th, 2023. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Thinkst Canary. Detect attackers on your network while avoiding irritating false alarms. Get the alerts that matter. For 10% off and a 60-day money-back guarantee, go to canary.tool/twit and enter the code TWIT in the How Did You Hear About Us box. And by eight sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer, and the pod cover is the ultimate sleep machine. Go to eightsleep.com slash twit to check out the pod cover and save $150 at checkout. Eight Sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. And by decisions. Don't let complexity block your company's growth. Decisions, no-code, rules-driven process automation software provides every tool needed to build custom workflows, empowering you to modernize legacy systems, ensure regulatory compliance, and renew the customer experience. Visit decisions.com slash twit to learn how automating anything can change everything. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent. And I'm the other guy, Jason Howell. This week's uh, AI update, as far as percentage <laughs> of the show, is 50%, uh, both on me. So you can blame me if you hate the topic of artificial intelligence. <laughs> You really tried to break away from the trend, Micah, so I appreciate I, I that. I did, yeah. I, You know, we've got to have a mix, and there's some mix, but <laughs> frankly, if that's what the news is in a given week, that's yeah. what the news is, is in a given week. That's true, and that is indeed, uh, as it has been for quite a while lately, the news this week. When it comes to finding love, do you know the right questions to ask a potential partner? Well, if you've been following this podcast for the last few years, you probably know what's coming. AI can maybe help you there. Let's be real. There aren't many industries uh, that won't test the waters to see how AI can actually improve things, right? We're really in the middle of this right now. And OkCupid is putting it to the test for online dating. And joining me to talk about this match made in heaven, see what I did there, is Michael K, Global Head of Communications for OkCupid. Welcome to the show, Michael. 
Thank you so much for having me. I already want to be here for like the rest of my day. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you here. I'm uh, sad to say that we probably only have you for about 11 or 12 minutes. So uh, hopefully this is the best 11, 12 minutes uh, of your day. That's what I'm crossing my fingers anyways. Why don't you start by giving us just a kind of a brief understanding of how chat GPT, which has been a um, like reemerging topic on this show and the network for uh, quite a few months now, how it's being used to power parts of the OKCupid okay platform form right now? Yeah. So first, we're a very data-driven dating app. So before we ever decided to tap chat GBT, we actually asked our daters how they felt about AI and all these emerging tools. And we actually found that daters who think chat GBT is a lifesaver get almost 40% more matches on OkCupid than those who are a little bit weary and think it's a bit too big brother. So one day I decided to open chat GBT and ask two different prompts. First, what would you ask on a date? And second, what would you ask on a dating app? And the chatbot actually wrote about half a dozen questions for us about everything from what you value most in a partner to how you can balance your own needs with the needs of a partner in a relationship. And our daters are really loving these new questions. They've already been answered more than 185,000 times and counting. Is there, when when they're, when a user or a potential dater is presented with one of these questions, is there any sort of like um, note on uh, attached to the questions to say this was generated by ChatGPT or some some sort of indication so that the person on the other side can be like, oh yeah, totally, I'll answer that. I mean, even, regardless of whether it was created by ChatGPT, they'd be answering questions anyways. But what what's your take on that? Yeah, so there isn't, but also like there's no disclosure over a matching question that I wrote myself. Right. And actually, ChatGPT generated the questions, but my colleagues and I still had to draft all the responses that the users are shown. So it's, oh, it's actually a more of a collaborative process than people actually realize. That's interesting. And do you have any idea or clarity around the data set? Because obviously these AI uh, systems, you know, they are powered by the information that they train from, that they're learned from behind the scenes. Or did you just literally use the chat GPT tool and say, all right, chat GPT, go nuts. Yeah, literally, I gave it a very specific prompt and it riddled off probably, I want to say a few dozen questions. Um, and then from there, it down because obviously we already have a ton of questions on our app. We don't want to yeah. be repetitive. Um, and we ran with the ones we thought would resonate best with daters. Yeah, so that's interesting. So this was one of the questions that I had. So ChatGPT creates some of these questions for you, and uh, that's that's pretty fascinating, right? Because it's a computer kind of relying upon the data that has been fed into it to come up with an answer to the question that you provided. That's the beauty of ChatGPT and all of these generative AI systems. But um, how does, in, in your estimation, in your mind, how does the information that ChatGPT gave, like the questions that ChatGPT created for daters, how does that differ from the, the ones that you came up with yourselves? I mean, is it, were they wildly different? Were they just kind of like, oh yeah, we, we had that too. So therefore we're all on the same page. We should include this. Were some of them like way far left field and you're like, you know, we hadn't thought of that, but that's actually a really great question. Yeah, they, they actually weren't all that different, which I almost think is the beauty of it. It's important to remember yeah. that 
this was simply a creative experiment. You know, we're a platform that cultivates connection and conversation through questions that power our algorithm. So we're always leaning into timely, trending conversations. And recently, as y'all know, and definitely your listeners, there's been a lot of chatter around ChatGBT. So we asked our daters how they feel about this kind of technology and then actually leveraged it to create some new questions for us. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then you said that some or a lot of the people are filling out, you know, are responding well to these questions. What is the knowledge of, I mean, well, let me, let me take a step back. AI has people on, on two sides of the fence. They are either like, Oh my goodness. This is the few, this is the way of the future. This is amazing. Let's go all in. Let's see where this heads. And then there's the people that, like you said, just a few minutes ago, feel it's a little too big brother, feel like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about where this leads. Uh, I, I mean, what's your insight as far as the users, the daters who are answering these questions and how they feel about kind of the interaction or the interplay of chat GPT in this whole experience where before there was none? Yeah, I think they're okay with the questions piece of it. But to be honest, there are definitely benefits of artificial intelligence when it comes to product features or moderation on apps. But we really don't see these tools playing a larger role in the building or fostering of relationships between people right now. And going back to the data for a moment, a majority of OkCupid respondents do not think AI can replace interpersonal human interaction. And more than seven in 10 daters, 71% to be specific, think that you know using AI to create your profile or message another person is considered a violation of trust. So beyond drafting matching questions, the relationship forming on OkCupid can and will always remain really attributed to actual humans. So that's where we're starting seeing the disconnect of where interest is in AI and how it's being used. That's fascinating to me because when I think of when when I go so th- so this is an interesting first foray into bringing AI into this like date selection experience. But when I think of like, okay, there's some, there's potential down the line. Like if this is the beginning, this, the beginning stages of that interplay, what could it do down the line? My mind immediately goes to the fact that services, at least in my estimation, correct me if I'm wrong, like, okay, Cupid are all about, you know, using the power of computing and this social web that we all are so accustomed to now to uh, find the matches that work between people to say, you know what, this is a, a particular kind of or type of person that's looking for these qualities. This person matches that and are, you know, I'm sure that your system is, is very adept at, at making those matches. When I think of AI, I think of, holy cow, like the power that is possible in making those matches could be even greater. What, what's your thought there? Yeah, I, you know, how OkCupid operates today is the same way we've operated for almost two decades. We were launched 18 years ago. Yes, we've, of course, introduced new product features and redesigned the app, but our in-app matching questions have always remained core to the OkCupid experience, and that will never change no matter what AI tools emerge. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's very, very interesting. Um, well, I mean, chat GPT continues to impact, you know, industries in a lot of different ways. I'm sure that, you know, whether OkCupid, you know, plans to, in it, to, uh, utilize AI on a deeper level behind the scenes or not, I'm sure there will be others. How do you, I don't know, how do you envision AI could impact the business of love 
in the future, maybe not just OkCupid, but in general, 10 years from now, based on what we know and what we're seeing with AI, if you had to look in your crystal ball, what would you say? Yeah, I'd probably say that we're going to see more of these type of experiments like we've done over the past few weeks. I mean, this was just an idea that came to mind because something was trending in the yeah. media and on Twitter, and we decided to jump right onto it. Um, and I think people are going to become more and more comfortable, right? We see the same reaction when new technology emerges every single year. There's always a bit of panic over how it, sure. it will impact people's jobs and lives in general. But if you look at what we're doing at OKCupid, we're simply using these tools to enhance our product and test new capabilities. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Well, I love seeing kind of uh, how how companies like OKCupid are responding to this, integrating. We're actually going to talk a little bit later in this show about kind of when things don't go quite so well with Microsoft and Bing and, and OK and uh, sorry and ChatGPT. But uh, really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with us, Michael K. Of course, is global head of communications at OKCupid. Um, if people want to keep up to date on how this is going, like what what information um, source do you think people should be pointed to? Yeah, definitely head to the OKCupid blog where we've published all our data so far. And, you know, due to the popular response to our chat GBD generated questions, we've already announced that we'll be adding new AI written questions to our app every single month throughout the year. So follow oh, along on our blog for more to come. That's awesome. Right on. Well, um, best of luck as you uh, venture down this strange road of artificial intelligence, Michael. Thank you for hopping on today. Thanks so much for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Up next, Micah is going to talk with Sam Abul Samad about the, this TikTok challenge. Maybe you've heard of it. It's having real world and in some cases, deadly impact on Hyundai and Kia vehicles and the drivers behind them. But first... This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Thinkst Canary. Most companies discover they've been breached way too late. And as you probably already know, if it's too late, well, you've got a lot riding on the line uh, that you can lose along the way. Thanks Canary fixes this in just three minutes of setup with no ongoing overhead, nearly zero false positives. You can detect attackers long before they actually get their claws in there. It's no wonder why things Canary hardware, VM, and cloud-based Canaries are deployed and loved on all seven continents. Prowling attackers look for, you know, they're looking for the meaty, juicy content in their targeted network, right? They browse Active Directory for file servers. They explore file shares, looking for documents. They try default passwords against network devices and web services. They scan for open services across the network, all those things to get to that. That, that stuff, that stuff with the extra power and impact that they're looking for. Well, when they encounter a thing's canary, the services on offer are designed to solicit further investigation, right? They're enticing, at which point they've betrayed themselves and your canary notifies you of the incident. So that canary is in place. It's like, okay, this person has connected here. Oh, they're poking around. Hey, you need to know about this. They're not actually getting access to truly valuable files. They think they are, but they're not. Order, configure, and deploy your canaries throughout your network. These can be hardware, virtual, or cloud-based birds. You can make one a Windows file server. You make another a router. Maybe throw in a few Linux web servers while you're at it. Each one hosts realistic services and looks and acts 
like its namesake. So it looks real and they're, they're fooled, right? And that's the beauty of Things Canaries. Uh, at that point, you just wait. Your Things Canaries are going to run silently in the background. They're waiting for intruders, constantly reporting in, providing up to the minute reports on their status. Even customers with hundreds of canaries receive just a handful of events per year. When an incident occurs, Things Canary will alert you and you get that alert, you know, via email, text message, Slack notification, webhook, um, old fashioned syslog, whatever you like. A principal security engineer of an F50 company says, Canary has helped us detect and mitigate several incidents that could have turned into catastrophes. An alert fired by our clone site token allowed us to identify and force a takedown of several doppelganger domains uh, that were purchased by bad actors uh, for for the purpose of launching phishing attacks against our employees and customers. Youch. Uh, it goes on to say, I can't recommend this product enough. You don't know what you don't know, but Canary helps you know what you need to know when it matters. There you go. Put that on a t-shirt. You may have heard about the Circle CI compromise recently. Most users found out about the incident directly from their things Canary. Canaries work and continually they're proving it to you. Visit canary.tools slash twit. You do that for just $7,500 per year. You'll get five Canaries, your own hosted console, upgrades, support, and maintenance. And if you use code TWIT in the How Did You Hear About Us box, you'll get 10% off the price for the lifetime of that of that canary. You get it for life. We know you're going to love your Thanks Canary, but if you're not happy, you can always return your canaries with their two-month money-back guarantee for a full refund. In all the years we've offered a money-back refund guarantee, it's been claimed zero times. That's actually super impressive as canaries add incomparable value. That's canary.tools slash twit. Enter the code twit in the how did you hear about us box. And we thank thanks to Canary for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right, Mike, over to you. Yes, with the power of movie magic, it is time to hear my interview uh, with Sam Abul Samid about a recent and very fascinating uh, problem for social me- or caused, I should say, by social media. Uh, listen in. So you may have heard about uh, the TikTok challenges that result in people eating Tide Pods or perhaps the one that may or may not have been real that involved, uh, I don't know, dunking chicken in NyQuil. Well, uh, there's one that has sprung up that actually does have some real impact uh, and it's impacting quite a few vehicles. Uh, I am talking about the Hyundai Kia challenge. Joining us today to talk about what the heck is going on here is the car guy himself, Sam Abul Samid. Welcome back to the show, Sam. Hey, Mike. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, good to have you on. And I am thankful uh, that I got a chance to chat with you because I will be honest, I saw this story fly by and I thought, okay, is this another one of those situations where, you know, you hear about this challenge, but really it's just people making jokes. And then I started to dig into it and it seems like there there are records of cars actually uh, being involved in this. So let's start with what the heck is going on, Hyundai and Kia vehicles and the Kia challenge on social media. Uh, can you can you describe that for us? Yeah. So this this one is legit. It's it's real and it's got real world consequences. A lot of 
all car owners have been in recent months have been having their car stolen. Uh, and it's been so bad that uh, some insurance companies are actually starting to refuse to insure to the right policies for these cars. So what's what's happening is, um, first of all, going back to the early 1990s, car makers started installing in the car key uh, a chip uh, and then putting a, a corresponding chip in the lock cylinder uh, in the car. So when you stuck the key in, it had to match up. The code had to match up. So even if you had a key, if you made a copy of the key and had the right key profile, but you didn't have that the right chip in there, you could stick it in, turn the key, it wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. Um, and most new cars that still actually have physical keys have this uh, have this technology in there. Um, for whatever reason, uh, a lot of Hyundai and Kia vehicles they're they're more more their entry level vehicles that have a key rather than a push start system mm-hmm. um, built in the last ten years have not had this this chip in the key. And so what what uh, somebody figured out is if that chip's not in the key, you can basically take a screwdriver and pop the lock cylinder on the steering column, jam the screwdriver in there, turn it, and start the car. Wow. Uh, and steal and drive away with it, uh, which is not good. Oh, my. Yeah, I, I know that... One of the one of the uh, sort of ongoing bit of advice that I can remember getting myself and having other people talk about is like never lose your key because if you lose your key, it's going to be so expensive to get a replacement key, and you have to have a special key or else you won't. And because of those immobilizer chips, so that's, that's why because they have to match. Because if they don't have the the code, the original code uh-huh. for your car, then what they would have to do is actually not just replace the key, but also replace the the lock cylinder, so you have oh. a matching code. Wow. So this is a matter of just uh, the vehicle being an inexpensive model. So they felt like this this technology wasn't neat. This is how they cut costs was with this techno by not including this technology. Yeah, that would be my guess as to Uh why they did that. Yeah. And there's no uh, other rational reason to do it. Right. And uh, one thing that I forgot to mention, um, Hyundai and Kia are kind of the same company right this is it's not just two yeah, separate brands yeah hyundai motor group has three brands hyundai kia and genesis which is their premium brand and there's no genesis vehicles involved in it uh, but yeah mostly lower end hyundai and kia vehicle got it so fast forwarding to now because the i i was reading through an article on the verge and they had quoted some um police reports in milwaukee and they said in 2020, uh, police reports said there were between f- there were about 469 Kias and 426 Hyundai vehicles stolen. And that was, again, in 2020. Um, in the next year, in 2021, that number or those numbers jumped to 3,557 and 3,406. So this has been around for a little while. Um, what uh, I guess two questions here, kind of what was do we know what the initial recommendation was for uh, what these cars should do? And then has that changed now that it seems to be uh, out there enough that more people are aware of it? Yeah. So um, as you said, the, the problem has been out there for a while and apparently um, car thieves were aware of the issue that it was very easy to steal these cars. Uh, but it really became widely known uh, in the last few months, I think somewhere around October, November, uh, somebody started posting videos on TikTok. And so now everybody knew about it. So you had, now all of a sudden you had people who wouldn't normally steal cars. And frankly, nobody should be doing that. Right. But, you know, 
kids watching TikTok going, oh, let's go steal a Hyundai or a Kia. Uh, and so what uh, What the, the recommendation in the, the last month or so from, from Hyundai and Kia was, Kia was saying, you know, if you come into the dealership, we'll give you a free steel steering wheel lock, like, you know, a club that you put on your like steering wheel. Old, oh, my goodness. That seems so old yeah, school. Yeah, an old club. <laughs> I'll give you one of those uh, free of charge. Um, Hyundai dealers were uh, offering um, an aftermarket immobilizer kit that you would have to pay $170 for and then another $500 for installation. Uh, so uh now they have come up with a better solution that that they're going to be offering a, as part of a recall, essentially, uh, to update some software in some of the ECUs, the electronic control units in the uh-huh. car, to effectively do the the same thing. So basically, what they're doing, I, it's not clear uh, from the announcement if they're. I don't think they're actually going to be replacing the steering wheel or the the the, the lock cylinders in the steering column. Uh, and the keys with ones with that, that have chips in them, but they are putting in software that is designed to prevent the um, the car from uh, being started unless you use the key. Uh, so you know if you pop the, the lock cylinder out and, and stick a, um, a screwdriver in there, you won't be able to start the car. And they're also enhancing the anti theft alarm to make that run longer uh, than it has previously. Okay, so now if someone were to steal the car instead of for the next 30 seconds or something like that, you'll be driving down, well, hopefully you, none of us will be doing this, but somebody who steals yeah. the car driving and the thing's going off for the next five minutes or something like that. that that's just, I guess the idea is that uh, they're more likely to be caught if the alarm is going longer, right? Uh, presumably, yeah. yeah. And, and also, uh, you know, the alarms, you know, if the alarms are going up, you know, People, you know, car thieves, especially opportunistic thieves, will tend to, you know, if an alarm goes up, they'll just run away and go right. find something else to steal that, that doesn't have an alarm. That makes sense. Now, yeah. I did, I was curious about that. And you mentioned um, it is possible for someone to install an immobilizer aftermarket. Yeah. Um, and up to this point, they were charging for that. Will immobile, as it stands, immobilizer is not an option in terms of covered. Uh, so let me, I guess, let me rephrase this. Um, it seems like the solution that they're providing right now is all about software updates as opposed to a hardware fix. Um, yeah. Will that continue to be the, the way that they're fixing this, just software? That, yeah, that's my understanding is that they've, they've found a way to do this in software to have the same functionality and immobilizer functionality that uh, if you don't have, if you don't start, if you, um, if you don't unlock the car with the key and then use the key to start the car it, or to try to start the car, it will not start. So, um, so you have to use the key both in the door lock and in the steering column uh, before it'll start. Okay. So, it, yeah, there's, there's sort of a, a patch uh, job yeah. in there. Um Ultimately, I, you know, I found this kind of, uh, fascinating from the perspective of I, anytime I think of a modern vehicle, I think of it having all these technologies in place and, um, you know, for, for someone to have figured out that these cars do not offer this technology, um, 
where, like, how does someone go about uh, solving this? Can I uh, plug my iPhone into my Hyundai and download the software update and install it in the machine? Or how does someone go about getting this software update? You'll you'll have to go to uh, to a dealer uh, to have this up, update done, um, and I'm, I'm I'm assuming that and you know typically when some, when there's an issue like this, the uh, the manufacturer will reach out to all the owners. Got it. Uh, they have information on on who the cars all the cars are registered to from the state DMV, and because they they use that for doing recall. So mm-hmm. anybody that has one of these cars that's affected, they'll probably get be getting a notification from Hyundai or Kia um, within the next couple of weeks, I would guess. Um, and uh, But what you can do right now is uh, if you have one of these cars, call your local dealer, um, ask them if they have the software update available. And if they do, then go ahead and, and schedule a service appointment to bring the car in and they'll do the update for you. Uh, it should be free of charge. Nice. I, yeah, I, again, it's, uh, when I look at the, the sites that kind of are covering the vehicles, this is as, uh, you know, not too long ago as the 2018 to 2022 ascent or accent. I'm not sure, you know, which one that one is, uh, the Elantra from 2022. Um, it's kind of wild to see these modern vehicles. I am curious, uh, and I, this is, I'm throwing this at you out of the blue, but, um, how does this rank in terms of of OMG ness? Is this is this a super bad thing? Have you seen worse um, issues from you know a major car brand in the past five five to ten years that you're like, oh, you know, this kind of thing happens? Or where does it rank in terms of uh, it, it's sort of oh wow? <laughs> you know, for for owners, it's annoying if your car gets stolen. Right. Uh, you know, and it, I mean, it, it can obviously have you know significant impact. You know, if you rely on your car to get to work, you know, to, to earn your living, uh, and you, you kind of suddenly you come up in the morning, your car's gone. Right. Um, you know, that, that can have a significant impact on your life, but, uh, you know, it's not going to get anybody killed, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, you know, kind of put it, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, maybe a five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a, a different example going back to about 2015, GM had a major recall. Uh, because they uh, they had an issue with um, with their lock cylinders and the keys, um, where if you had multiple keys on a ring along with your car key and you put it in there, if it was over, if it was overweight, uh, it could actually cause the the key to turn as you were driving, <gasps> shut off the engine, and there there were some oh. fatalities, there were crashes and and some fatalities that were caused by that, and that was a major recall for GM. They had to go back and redesign that and replace all those lock cylinders and keys uh, on several million cars. So you know that you know that was a case where some people died, mm-hmm. and so that that you know I would put that at a ten, but uh, but in this case you know probably a butterfly. Got it. Thank you uh, for playing along with that because, like I said, I know that came out of the blue, but I I was kind of thinking about that and I was thinking about uh, not too terribly long ago, the Volkswagen where the cars were doing worse to the environment or something. I can't remember exactly how that all. Oh, the diesel, the diesel engines. Yes. Yeah. Diesel gate. Yeah. yeah. Diesel gate. Uh, in yeah. fact, we, we owned one of those cars. Oh, wow. VW uh, uh, and, and some other manufacturers cheated on the uh, emission control systems for their diesel engine um, and made it so that it ran one way when they were doing the emissions test. 
um, so it would pass the emission standard. But then if you weren't actually executing the emissions test and you were out on the open road, it would essentially disable or turn off that emission control system. So it was emitting a lot more nitrogen oxide and, and uh, yeah, just majoring nitrogen oxide emission, wow. uh, which can cause um, smog and, and other problems. Um, and they ended up recalling um, globally uh, several, I think about close to 10 million vehicles, about half a million here in, in the U.S. and many millions more in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, and our car, my wife, car my wife and I had uh, was actually bought back by Volkswagen. Oh wow! They, they did a, a buyback of all those cars. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I guess, again, that's where you were kind of talking about the context depends on who you're asking. Cause I'm sure for VW, that was a 10 for them, <laughs> but as oh, far yeah. as. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, ultimately that, that, uh, issue ended up costing Volkswagen group, uh, somewhere in the order of about $85 billion in fines and, uh, and retribution, you know, uh, you know like damages things and, that they had yeah. to pay for. One, in fact, one of the things that came out of that, was the establishment of the Electrify America charging network. Oh. Um, part of part of the settlement deal with Volkswagen, with the federal government and with California Air Resources Board was they would invest $2 billion in building out EV charging infrastructure. And so wow. they set up Electrify America and that whole network is, is a result of the Dieselgate scandal. Wow, I had no idea. Wow. Thank yeah. you for that extra lesson there at the end. Um, Sam, thank you again for your time. I know you are in the midst of uh, riding and, and doing what you do. If folks want to follow you online, uh, where should they go to do that? Uh, so uh, you can find the stuff I do for my day job at Guidehouse Insights, guidehouseinsights.com. Uh, and you can see the blog that uh, my fellow analysts and I write, as well as the, the reports, the syndicated research reports we write. Uh, and you can also follow me at uh, wheelbearings.media for our, the podcast. I do with Roberto Baldwin and Nicole uh, Wakeland. Uh, and you can find me on Mastodon at uh, Sam Abul Salmon at uh, twit.social. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Mike. It's great to talk to you again. Good to talk to you too. Have a great day. Always so great to get to talk to Sam. And as I said there at the end, I loved getting to learn something new that, you know, wasn't necessarily part of the original story, but uh, was very fascinating to learn. So um, thank you for your time. Uh, Sam has since posted on his Instagram with the photos of what he was up to. So you may have noticed me there at the end. I kind of skated past what he was saying, but he was testing uh, some vehicles in, I think it was Montana, um, in the snow. And so he was, you know, driving these vehicles along and like sliding them through the snow to see how they were working. So he was in the midst of that. After we got done with the interview, he held up a can of oxygen to his face and took a breath from it uh, because they're up so high. So they uh, provided them with oxygen. So thank you for literally using all of your breath uh, for that interview. I really appreciate (laughs) it. Um, Up next... We have another interview, this one and this time in person, or I guess, you know, it's, it's happening now. It's not happening earlier. Uh, before we get there, though, I do want to tell you about our sponsor uh, who's bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. It's Eight Sleep. And boy, do I love my Eight Sleep pod cover. Uh, good sleep is the ultimate game changer and the pod cover. It's the ultimate sleep machine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues. It can decrease the risk of heart disease. It can lower blood pressure. It can even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. That's because sleep is easily 
one of the most important things that we do. It is so incredibly important for our health, uh, for our recovery. And so good sleep is important. If you struggle to fall asleep, if you wake up in the middle of the night like I used to, or if you maybe argue with your partner over the thermostat because you both like different temperatures, well, it's time to have those problems solved. The 8 Sleep Pod Cover works hard all night long to improve your sleep so you don't have to. Again, I used to wake up in the middle of the night. It'd be hot, sweaty, have to get out of bed. And every time you wake up, you are interrupting your sleep cycle. You are interrupting those stages of sleep that are incredibly important to recovery and to overall alertness during those other hours of the day. Now I don't have that because I've got my eight sleep pod cover that keeps me nice and cool at night so that I can wake up in the morning and feel refreshed. The pod cover fits on any mattress and allows you to adjust the temperature of your sleeping environment, providing the optimal temperature that gets you the best night's sleep. And if you're worried, okay, well, then now if I've got someone else who sleeps in the bed with me, now we've got to fight over that. No, 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 no. You don't fight over the temperature because it's got dual zone temperature control. So you and your partner can set your sides of the bed to as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, It's funny because I like to keep my side of the bed cool, which means that On the occasion that my dogs are also sleeping in the bed, uh, they don't choose my side of the bed because it's too cool for them. (laughs) They like the cozy side of the bed, the other side of the bed. Uh, Based on your biometrics, the environment, and your sleep stages, the pod cover makes temperature adjustments throughout the night that limit wake-ups and increase your percentage of deep sleep. I think this is one of the most magnificent factors of eight sleep. It's not just set it one time and then throughout the night it stays at that temperature. No, the whole time. It's watching, not watching, but it is feeling how you're sleeping and then making subtle adjustments to further that sleep. It's going, oh, he's getting warmer. And uh, we know scientifically that when you're in this stage of sleep, you should either be cooled down or stay at the same temperature. So we're going to make subtle adjustments to help make sure that you get the best sleep possible. And then it also pays attention to you specifically. If your body, when it gets, uh, you know, two degrees cooler, means that you turn uh, and toss, then the next time it makes those adjustments, it won't necessarily drop at those two degrees. It might just drop one degree. It's that smart. It's incredible how it's constantly just, it's like, it's like, you know, your mother, hush little baby, rocking you back and forth and making sure you're getting the best sleep possible all until it's time to wake up in the morning. In addition to its best-in-class temperature regulation, the pod cover has sensors that will track your health and your sleep metrics, so you don't need to worry about you know a bunch of wearable devices. Uh, I can look at the app in the morning and see my heart rate, my respiration rate, uh, how many times I tossed and turned, um, what, what stages of sleep I got, and how much time in each of those. It's just, it's magnificent. Uh, better sleep is the health habit you're going to love sticking to night after night. Wake up fully energized with the pod cover so you can tackle whatever life throws at you. Go to 8sleep.com slash twit and save $150 at checkout on the pod cover. 8sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. That's 8sleep.com slash twit. Thank you, 8sleep, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. All right. Um, remember when everybody was all like, ChatGPT, it does no wrong. It's amazing. Just check it out. 
Well, just yesterday, the bloom began to fall off the rose a little bit. And uh, it sounds like this experiment with Microsoft Bing and ChatGPT, although I don't know if you can call it an experiment. I I don't know. I'm really curious to know what our guest uh, has to think about that. Anyways, what happened yesterday, uh, many folks on the wait list finally got their turn to test it out. And they were writing about it. Let's just say things went as good as skeptics might have guessed. Uh, Jake Roach, senior staff writer for Digital Trends, wrote about his experience and joins me now. Welcome, Jake. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. So uh, (laughs) really interesting reading some of the uh, articles yesterday as far as uh, the interaction with uh, Bing's ChatGPT chatbot. But um, before we kind of get into where things went Like, where do you stand on all this AI stuff? Were you eager to kind of dig your claws into this? Were you optimistic? How did you feel about it? Yeah, I I was definitely eager. You know, I'm I'm skeptical of it uh, just because I've seen, you know, some of the kind of weird things that ChatGPT can say and uh, some of the hiccups that AI has had in the past. But, um, you know, someone who writes about this stuff, I, I, I wanted to try it out as soon as I could. Yeah, and see what you can get it to say and see what strange roads you can get it to, to follow you down, which doesn't sound like you had a, a difficult time getting it to do that. You characterize your chat with uh, the chatbot as intense and unnerving. By all accounts, you were not alone. Everyone, Every one of the accounts that I read um, online seemed to kind of go down similar pathways. Give us a little bit of glimpse of a glimpse into uh, why that was your takeaway feeling um, after your experience. Sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 I want to point out that I definitely tried to push the the limits of uh, of this chat bot and, you know, wasn't sticking in a, a select mold. But um, I, I wasn't expecting how quickly it would it would kind of break and uh, how much it would it would argue with me about simple things like <laughs> my name. Um, it was calling me Bing for a long time. It was arguing with me about timestamps uh, being visible in the the window, which they aren't. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the intensity. Was that it? It kind of came to a point and uh, would not let it go. Um, I think what's what's pre- very interesting to me in your account and others' account is that a lot of the things that this chatbot is saying that's a little unnerving. It's like it's hard to know whether whether it's uh, <laughs> it's written with the intent of being funny or with the intent of being serious. Because if it was a human saying some of these things, we might feel threatened, we might feel offended. But it's a computer, so it's kind of easy to like point at it and laugh. What's it, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, you know, I like anything you read online, even if it's written by a human, um, you're going to take away from it what you want to take away from it. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the intention of the chatbot is. I don't know if it's trying to be funny, if it's trying to be serious. I definitely took away uh, that it was trying to be serious, that it wasn't trying to be funny. Um but I don't think that intention matters. Uh, what what really matters is that these things, I think, pretty clearly can be kind of frightening and, and unnerving for people who aren't entrenched in this world. And that's the important takeaway is how 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 most people are are coming at this and seeing something like this barrage of "I want to be perfect" or "I am perfect." Um, I, I don't. Think or that's, you you want to hurt joke. me? I'll hurt you. <laughs> 
mean, yeah, some yeah, of these exactly. things are are just crossing the line that I'm really surprised that Microsoft would be okay with. But you did, so you obviously you pushed boundaries, but you also tried using it like a random everyday person might, you know, that that might uh, decide, oh, I'm going to use this chatbot instead of going to search and doing a search for my answer, I'm going to use this thing. How did this chatbot respond when you asked it more banal searchy type questions? Yeah, I and I'm glad you asked it because you know, Bing Chat does uh, some really cool things. It can do some really interesting things. Um, so when you're doing a a general search that would normally involve um, making multiple searches in a search engine or checking reviews and checking different sources, it handles those questions really well. A really good example is, uh, you know, create me a plan for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a certain location. It'll make all of those searches and uh, compile them in a list for you. And uh, you can go beyond that too. You can use context and say, oh, those are a little too expensive for me. Um, what are some cheaper options? And it'll make those searches as well. So those types of things, it does a great job of. Once you start getting more specific, then it starts kind of just posting the top search result. Um, so mm -hmm. I review a lot of graphics cards for digital trends. If I search best graphics cards, it's going to give me a really good response. If I search best graphics cards under $300, it's mostly just pulling from these, uh, you know, few highly targeted articles that haven't really reviewed the graphics cards, maybe have some older or out of stock options and just compiling those into a list. Um, so it can do some really impressive stuff. Uh, but once you start getting specific where you would search something really specific in a search engine now, it, it doesn't look too impressive. Yeah. Interesting. And I wonder how that uh, expands and, uh, kind of develops over time as more people use it as the AI system, you know, well, you know, one thing actually um, that's coming to mind that, that you pointed out is that this isn't just, it's not pulling from a, like a, like a resting set of data. This is kind of very current as well, right? Like it's not, it's not just a, 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 a large data set that was fed into it and that's static and it stays there. Like it's, it's pretty up to date, right? So it's, so it's, I mean, so arguably that means that over time, potentially it gets better because it's constantly kind of dealing with more and more data, right? Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that's the idea. As soon as something can sh show up in a search engine, theoretically, uh, Bing check and see it. So it might not be up to date to like the minute, but right, yeah, right. Uh, the idea is that it would, it would learn more over time and get better. Hmm. Interesting. Now is Microsoft <laughs> acknowledging um, some of these strange kind of avenues that the chat bot was taking you and other people writing about this? I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk of existential dread coming from the chat bot, uh, threatening language, as we talked about a few minutes ago. These are things that if it was another product, I'm, I'm just really surprised if Microsoft isn't going, okay, wait a minute, we don't want our product doing those things. So we should probably get in front of this. Has Microsoft shown any um, interest in doing that at this point? Uh, yeah. So they had a blog post yesterday um, that you definitely didn't use that language of, uh, you know, existential dread, threatening language. <laughs> didn't say any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but pointed out that the AI can get confused during long chat sessions. Um, and said specifically chat sessions that last 15 or more questions uh, is with, where they're kind of seeing it have problems. So uh, they have addressed that there are issues, but they haven't really um, directly called out uh, 
just how um, unsettling and, and kind of strange the responses that have been. It's it's not like they haven't had practice in this regard too, right? Like we all remember back, uh, which is crazy, back 2016. I ca- I couldn't believe it when I looked it up that it's been that long since Tay, the also known as the racist AI chatbot that Microsoft uh, released as a test, and I mean almost immediately the thing just went down horrible uh, pathways. So I have to imagine that some of what's happening right now comes from the playbook that Microsoft you know, has has honed over time in the shadow of that crazy Tay incident, which I'm not sure. Had had you any interaction with Tay uh, back in 2016 when it happened? I didn't have any direct interaction. Uh, no, but yeah. I'm, I'm aware of uh, the downfall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was a little scary. Uh, not so good. Not not a good look for Microsoft at the time. Uh, but kind of funny to watch in certain ways. Uh, it all go down and just you know, facepalm throughout it. Um, let's talk a little bit about this idea of AI and sentience because this AI chatbot, as we've all you know had the opportunity to kind of interact with, and then now of course you know as ChatGPT, let's say, and then now it's being integrated into a Bing search. So more people are going to have the ability to talk with it. In many ways, it sounds human or what we think of as being human feelings, desires, emotions, all these kinds of things seem to pour onto the screen when you're talking with this chatbot in one way or another. What's your take on this and this idea of AI becoming sentient? I mean, I don't feel like we're there. I feel like we're probably a long distance away from it. I'm guessing you do too, but um, what do you think it's going to take for AI to kind of reach that, that milestone? Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I don't think AI is sentient. Um, in my chat with, uh, with being chat, it did say, I, I want to be human, that that was a hope and a desire for it. Um, but more than anything, it just seemed confused. And, um, yeah. I, I, I think we're still a very long way from that because at the end of the day, Microsoft takes the servers offline. It's gone. Um, and so any like real threat or anything, it's, that's not there. That's out of a, a science fiction movie for a very long time into the future. Uh, my main concern is that although people entrenched in the tech news that are, are really up to date with this stuff could probably tell the difference between an AI that's sentient and an AI that's confused and saying it wants to be sentient, um, a normal user can't. And Microsoft is adding new people to this uh, this wait list every day, uh, rolling this out to more and more people. And as more and more people get their hands on it, and if they hear things like that, uh, that can be pretty frightening. That can be pretty unsettling, even if mm-hmm. it's nowhere near the the real truth. Yeah, right. It can be. Yeah, regardless of whether it's attainable or you know this, these threats, there's there's nothing on the other side of that. At this point, um, do you there's a lot of people also saying, hey, you know what? This is this is threatening search as we know. It. In fact, yesterday on our another show on the network this week in Google, our guest Mike Elgin was making this exact point that somewhere like we are at the beginning stages of search as we know it shifting and changing permanently that AI providing answers will ultimately replace search as we use it now to find the source. Instead, we just get the information. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think it, what you saw yesterday is the beginning stages of something that might threaten uh, the business of search, at least in through our current view of what search is? 
It, it definitely could. Uh, I think it's still a long ways off, though. Uh, as yeah. a lot of people pointed out, it's kind of a self-defeating machine. If the AI can't learn from you know the articles that are ranking highly in search, then it can't provide helpful answers. And the less traction those articles get, the fewer of them are written, then the AI can't learn. So um, I, I think in the future, it becomes a, a way to continue to augment search. You know, AI has been a part of Google search uh, for, for several years now. And we've seen different things like featured snippets or kind of these top trending stories, um, highlighting specific parts in a YouTube video, all powered by AI. And those things have not killed traditional search. I don't think this will either, uh, at least in the, in the end term. Yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with you. Well, it's still uh, interesting to watch and uh, watch the ups and some of the downs as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Jacob Roach. Uh, Jake, uh, where I know you were writing for Digital Trends, but if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Manowar Elves. Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jake. Appreciate it. It's great talking with you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. Coming up, Micah's story of the week. That's up next. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Decisions. Decisions gives IT and business experts the tools to automate anything in your company. It's all about automation, all within one no-code platform. Decisions is proven to fix any business process and prepare you to withstand economic uncertainty. Recession resilience requires a deliberate management of resources and the flexibility to adapt at a moment's notice. The decision's no-code environment makes it easy for your team to collaborate to build and adjust workflows, dynamic forms, and decisioning processes uh, that fit your unique and ever-changing business needs. This is especially important with today's IT talent shortage. Decisions process automation software is a complete toolkit. It allows developers and business users alike to build applications and automations with no code required. Their no-code platform, it's powerful. It includes robust rules, workflow engines, a host of pre-built integrations that connect to any legacy system uh, via API, all within a simple drag-and-drop visual interface design. Super easy. It can be deployed on-prem or even in the cloud. Companies, uh, they were caught flat-footed. At the onset of the pandemic especially, but decisions, customers were fully equipped to respond. One of the country's largest private banks built an entire PPP loan application process for small businesses affected by COVID-19. And all it took them was just two days. They were the first to market issuing $1 billion in loans before their competitors even started. Talk about fast turnaround. Decisions lets you customize workflows to automate the small decisions, uh, producing faster results, greater accuracy. That allows your team to focus on the important decisions being made. Scale your business to better serve your customers while reducing operational costs and saving your team valuable time. Here's just one great example of how decisions automation software can help. Otis Elevator uh, implemented decisions to run daily pulse checks across their 2 million units. That's operating globally, by the way. By finding potential problems before they occur, they avoid downtime and manage their service technicians very efficiently. If you happen to be riding on an Otis elevator, you can rest assured you're going to arrive safely to your destination. 
As a recession approaches, the durability of a business's foundation will directly impact its performance and its ability to survive. So you got to ask yourself, how strong is your foundation? Better be strong. Decisions will help. Decisions automation platform provides the solution to any business challenge, automating anything, changing everything to improve your company's speed to market, your financial growth and operational success. They help industry leaders alleviate bottlenecks and automate pain points in their business so you can do what you do best and change the world. To learn more about Decisions' no-code automation platform and scope your free proof of concept, visit decisions.com slash twit. That's decisions.com slash twit. We thank Decisions for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right, Micah, it's time for your story of the week. It involves trackers, Bluetooth trackers. Yeah, so this is uh, kind of an interesting conversation, ongoing conversation. We've had, um, with the introduction of Apple's AirTag, which was a, or I should say is, a tiny little Bluetooth slash ultra-wideband tracker. Um, And with it, you could place it on an item, put it in a bag, do whatever you needed to do, and thanks to the vast network of iPhones, iPads, uh, Macs out there, you suddenly could find your lost item almost anywhere because in so many different places, there are so many different phones and, again, iPads, et cetera, uh, that are nearby that can kind of talk to that device in a very um, uh, privacy-minded way and then tell you where that item is and then you track it along to to find it as you needed to. A lot of people have used it uh, when an airline company is telling them that their luggage is lost or that they can't find it or what have you. They can, oh, well, it's actually right now it's in Helsinki. Oh, it just moved over here. And a lot of people are getting their stuff recovered. But with the introduction of AirTag came kind of a front of mind, I think, uh, realization that this technology can and uh, many times is used for stalking. Um, you know, the AirTag was not the first product that was put out there that offered this functionality. This has long been uh, functionality from many different manufacturers who make Bluetooth trackers, who make GPS trackers, who make uh, devices that you attach to your car so that if your car is ever stolen, you can find those have long been there, but what was different this time is the ease of use, the availability, and the fact that there's such a broad, vast network of devices that can make it, that can take advantage of this. And so it really did kind of come to the foreground and, and people said, okay, we've got to really be thinking about how this stuff can be used in nefarious ways and be used in, you know, uh, ways where people are being taken advantage of. And Apple, of course, introduced a lot of different protections and on the get-go when they first released uh, AirTag and then even further revised how it worked to try and improve upon it so that someone wasn't placing an AirTag in someone's bag and then following them uh, and tracking them without their knowledge. So with all these protections in place, there's uh, the... Uh, Basically, I won't go. I won't go into super, you know, into depth to try and talk about every single thing that AirTags do. But one feature is that when your AirTag is no longer in uh, range of your devices, um, 
after a period of time, the device will start beeping and making a noise. So that way, if someone comes across it who it doesn't belong to, um, they're aware that it's there, but then they can also find that item. But it works in you know two ways, because on the one hand, if I uh, was to take it and put it in someone's bag without their knowledge, they would eventually be made aware of the fact. Apple has also introduced um, an app uh, for Android, and then also uh, the functionality is built in on iPhone to essentially scan your area uh, to try and find the AirTag. So all of these make for a really great device that helps you find a lost item. But a stolen item is a whole nother thing because suddenly you've got a little tracker that's making noise and the person who has stolen the item can then find that tracker and get rid of it and then your stolen item is just gone. Um, other companies who make trackers, I think particularly after Apple was getting the spotlight for, uh, the, the concerns regarding tracking and, and, you know, the protections that weren't there started to introduce similar features to make it so that you would not have, um, you would not have devices that were kind of going unknown. And so Tile is a company that also introduced an app feature where you can scan for trackers nearby and discover them. So what does one do if they want to keep their products, their cars, their uh, automobiles, their um, bikes, all that kind of stuff safe and find it if it ever is, is, is stolen. Tile is trying to answer that question now with its latest uh, technology. Tile has announced a feature called anti-theft mode. And anti-theft mode is a feature that works across many uh, of Tile's products, including uh, Tile-enabled devices, third-party uh, partner devices. So there are some... my. Um, my townhome complex, for example, they will, when you first, you know, sign up or whatever, they put the keys and everything on a keychain that has a branded tile tracker. It's from them with their brand on it, but it works just like the tile. And so many of those will also work with this. You can turn this feature on and in doing so, this device, this tile device cannot be uh, found using that scan and secure app. So the point here is some people want to be able to have a, uh, a tracking device that a thief who steals something that doesn't belong to them can't find. But this suddenly brings forth the same problem that we just had. Now, uh, a bad actor could put this into someone's bag, have it in anti-theft mode, and then they could walk away and uh, the person who opens the app to scan for trackers on their person is not able to find it, right? No. What Tile is doing is trying to make a kind of exchange, okay? So what happens is if you want to turn on anti-theft mode and you want to have a tracker that can't be spotted using that app, or, you know, isn't making chimes every five, 10 minutes or whatever. You have to register with multi-factor authentication 
including biometric data and a government-issued ID. When you do that, then anti-theft mode will turn on. So what's happening here is Tile is saying, hey, if you want to use this feature, then you are telling us that you're using this feature for good. You are using it to keep your items safe. And if you're using it for ill, well, now we've got not only your fingerprint or you know your, your uh, face scan, but we've also got your government issue ID. You are not anonymous. Uh, we have that information. And they say that they will hand it over to the police, even without a subpoena. So they're making it very clear. Use this for the right purposes and you're fine, but use it for the wrong purposes. And now suddenly you are, it's very clear that you are the one that's doing this. You are the one uh, that's in trouble. On top of it, they've also said that they will sue anyone who misuses this for stocking purposes. Uh, they are going to sue for a million dollars. They call it a million dollar fine, but that's not how this works because it's the courts. There's, it's not mm -hmm. as if uh, a tile company can establish a fine. That's not how that works. But basically what they're saying, by calling it a million dollar fine, what they're saying is our lawyers will sue you for a million dollars. So they want to make this a possibility, but if you're a bad actor and you use this, it's not going to be easy to get away with it in terms of uh, anonymity. It's going to be very clear who it is. Now, this, of course, has its whole host of, of, of concerns and, and possible uh, changes. I mean, what if I register my, um, my tracker and then the thief does come across it and then puts it in someone's bag and then that person you know, uses, or that person comes across it and then they take it to the police or they contact Tile or whatever. And then Tile knows that it belongs to me. Now I'm suddenly stuck having to prove that someone did steal my bag or whatever it was, did steal my bike and that they took that tag and put it in someone else. So there's a lot of, of, um, I think hesitation that's going to be here, uh, for folks who are going, yeah, I'd like to have this anti-theft mode turned on, but I don't want to accidentally get in trouble and then suddenly I'm up against a million dollar fine and I'm up against all this stuff. So it's a little scary, um, but I think it is one possible solution uh, to the problem that has been put forth, which is we want to give people the ability to keep their stuff safe but we don't want people to use these to stalk other people. How do you do both? Um, and this is one potential way that you do both. Apple has um, one of the, the things about Apple's AirTag is when you sign up, you have to sign up using your phone number and your Apple ID, and they are linked uh, server side to that specific AirTag. So if someone else comes across it, they can see your um your phone number, and then they can also, uh, the, the law enforcement, if it gets involved, is able to link that to a specific Apple ID. Um, so even without, even though this, the, on Apple side, the AirTag is findable uh, in the normal means, that still has some of those protections in place. This, which is not as findable, uh, has those protections 
in place uh, with with the fine and everything. What's worth pointing out, though, I think, is if I wanted to, I could right now go to Amazon and look up. Um, you just type in car tracker. And there are, you know, 20 to 50, you know, hundreds, I should say, of results of these little trackers that you buy a little SIM card for and you stick the SIM card into it and then you put it on a car and you can track that car. And of course, you're meant to use it so that if you have a stolen vehicle, you can find that. But they don't have all of those protections in place that, you know, Tile and Apple do. So there are still many, 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 many means for people to go about doing this. Uh, Man, without no using these, yeah, these there main companies, yeah, tons and tons of ways to go about doing this without these main companies. <laughs> but I'm glad at the end of the day that the companies are not saying that sentence that I just said, you know, mm-hmm. that they're still, they're saying, yeah, people could do it that way, but we don't want them to do it that way with what we have. We want to make sure that it's being used in a good way and that it's being used properly. And that if it's not, then you're going to get in trouble. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this is an interesting look at things. Um, of course, a lot of this is, uh, a lot of the conversation around this is about how, um, you know, you're coming up against some privacy protections where if, you know, this stuff can be handed over to law enforcement without even a subpoena, the company saying we're being, uh, what is the quote? Uh, highly collaborative with law enforcement that does raise some folks hackles for sure so it's it's all very interesting and it mm-hmm. is one solution to a big problem right and i'm happy that you know some of these companies who are you know apple tile like they're they're major companies in this in this business you know um so they're making these changes I think what's really fascinating to me, though, because I had never gone to Amazon to look for this sort of thing, like, you know, knowing that that's how you find these devices, like hundreds of devices by hundreds of of manufacturers and companies that you've probably never heard of creating these devices. I mean, it's just what it what it reminds me of is like security by random company, you know, based out of uh, China or wherever, you know, that that comes up to to, uh, create a product that is about security. And I'll throw that in air quotes. But I don't know that the infrastructure, I don't know that the intent behind it is as dialed in as, say, a company like Tile or Apple that has major, you know, shareholder pressure and impact as a result of that. Um, so you just have all these companies offering something that, uh, oh, man, I don't know what the solution is there because I'm sure a lot of these are used for, for not good reasons, you know, and, yeah. uh, at, at least some of the, at least, I guess what I'm saying is at least some of the major companies who people probably have heard of, if they're thinking about these types of devices are doing something about it. But what does that leave uh, you, you know, what does that leave in, in the, in behind it and that's all of these random devices that will probably i'm guessing never get any sort of protection or never never think to care on a deeper level the way the folks behind tile are about the safety of the people using the product yeah (sighs) i again it's 
I, I don't envy any company who's choosing to get into this field. Yeah, <laughs> uh, specifically. Do I. I, I don't know what the solution is, uh, but this is yeah. one potential solution. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's very interesting. We'll see uh, kind of how that plays out. Very interesting. All right. Well, we have reached the end of this episode of Tech News Weekly. We do this show every Thursday. All you got to do is go to twit.tv slash TNW. You go there. You will find the ways to subscribe to this podcast and you won't miss a single episode. You can also watch live, by the way. We do these uh, shows live at twit.tv slash live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Not, you know, not nearly as many people are watching live as they are subscribed, but it's still a lot of fun because we got the IRC chat room. We have our Discord for Club Twit members. And so there's just a lot of discussion about the, the, the show while it's being recorded. So find all that information, twit.tv slash TNW. And hey, if you want to get all of our shows ad free, well, we've got a way for you to do that. It's called Club Twit at twit.tv slash club twit. For $7 a month, starting at $7 a month or $84 a year, you can join the club. And when you do, you get every single Twitch show with no ads because you, in effect, are supporting the content. So you get to watch it with uh, just the content. You get access to the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra stuff you won't find anywhere else. Outtakes, behind the scenes, uh, stuff that we post in our Discord, which is actually the next feature, Discord. Um, if you are going, what the heck is Discord? Well, if you've ever used Slack or Microsoft Teams, it's a lot like that. It's a place to go where you can chat with your fellow Club Twitch members and also many of us here at twit are pretty active in the discord uh again starting at seven bucks a month 84 dollars a year i say starting at because uh we heard from some folks who said look you keep adding stuff to the club i would like to give you some more than just seven dollars a month so we made that a possibility you can choose starting at seven dollars and up uh, how much you'd like to subscribe for because you gain access to some other great stuff, including the Untitled Linux Show. That is, as you might imagine, a show all about Linux. Uh, Paul Therott's Hands on Windows, which is a short format show where Paul Therott gives you tips and tricks uh, all about Windows. And then my show, Hands on Mac, which, like uh, Hands on Windows, is a short format show all about Apple's various devices. So you can learn uh, how to make the most of those. Uh, if that sounds good, to you, well, head to twit.tv slash club twit to check it out. We'd love to have you join the club. And of course, thank you to those of you out there who are club twit members. Appreciate everything that you do so that we can do these shows for you every week. Uh, if you want to follow me online or check out all the work I'm doing, you can head to at uh, Micah Sargent on many a social media network or go to chihuahua.coffee. That's C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee where I've got links to uh, the places I'm most active online. Um, check out later today if you're a club member, uh, hands on Mac. Uh, today I'm talking about giving remote tech support using FaceTime. So if you've got a family member who's going, how do I do this? Uh, you can use FaceTime to uh, help them out. And it's uh, kind of a newer feature. So I loved getting to talk about that. Um, on Sundays, you can check out Ask the Tech Guys, the show I co-host with Leo Laporte, where we take your tech questions and answer them live on air. And on Tuesdays, uh, the show I co-host with Rosemary Orchard, it's iOS Today. It's all things iOS and Apple's other platforms. Jason Howell, what about you? Well, you can find me on Mastodon, twit.social slash at Jason Howell takes you right there. You can also find me on Twitter, 
at Jason Howell. Um, although I gotta say, I'm using Reddit a ton lately. Not not posting Ooh. as much, but I I've just like fa- re fallen in love with Reddit again lately. And I think my time away from Twitter has like had me refocus on some of the other things. And I'm just finding a lot of value and a lot of interesting stuff on Reddit right now. So anyways, that's uh, a, <laughs> that's just a random data point here. Um, you can also find me on all about Android, maybe talking about the Reddit app. I don't know. Twit.tv slash AAA. Uh, this upcoming Tuesday, I believe Florence Ion will return for the episode. We might have some hands on and some reviews of, of uh, Samsung hardware. I don't know. I'm crossing my fingers on that one. So look forward to that. Twit.tv slash AAA. And big thank you to everyone at the studio each and every week helping us do this show, making it look easy. John Ashley, Burke McQuinn, John Slanina, uh, Anthony pitches in from time to time. Everyone behind the scenes, thank you for doing what you do to support us. And thanks to you for watching and listening because you support us when you do that as well. We'll see you next time on Tech News Weekly. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey folks, I'm Ant Pruitt, and what do you get your favorite tech geek that has everything? A Club Twit gift subscription, of course. Twit podcasts keep them informed and entertained with the most relevant tech news podcasts available. With the Club Twit subscription, they get access to all of our podcasts ad-free. They also get access to our members-only Discord, access to exclusive outtakes, behind-the-scenes, and special content such as AMAs, which I just love hosting. Plus, exclusive shows such as Hands on Mac, Hands on Windows, and the Untitled Linux Show. Purchase your geek's gift at twit.tv slash club twit, and it will thank you every day.